Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Adrian Corcoran. I'm a guard attached to the Roads Policing Unit. Last year, saw an increase in fatalities on our roads. These are needless and preventable deaths. We all share the road. However you use it, please be careful and keep each other safe. Together... Let's save lives on our roads. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Okay, hello all and welcome to another episode of A Rugby Life. And it's truly a pleasure to be speaking with commentator Andrew Cotter. Hello, Andrew. Is it, is it though? Is it really a pleasure? Well, we'll find out, won't we? I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I like uh, that. That's, uh, that's a good standard opener, though. I like that. Uh, oh, th- well, yeah, no. I, yeah, not that I'm shitting myself about being with a pro, you know. No. Uh, well, no. You're you're in the in the presence of a hopeless bungling amateur who's still getting away with it somehow. So uh, it's obvious. Sure it's, I think we all are. That's that's isn't that what we're all doing? Just getting away with it and uh, hoping that nobody finds us out in every walk of life. In every single walk of life, yeah. So hailing from Troon, I'll resist yeah. the I'll resist the temptation not to do a no doubt appalling accent. Um, mm. Andrew, no, no, go for it. I, I I want you to do it. Okay, okay uh, Troon. Any good? Well, all you have to do really are roll the R's, and that's about it, really. Yes. It's, uh, it's the Tony Blair test. Would you say Tony Blair or Tony Blair? You know, that's it. Blair, that's... I would say, yeah. I, I, I come from a non-rotic accent area of Lancashire, so. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, say no, cover, well, not cover. Yeah. <laughs> you, know that, I mean. you went sort of slightly Somerset there, so. Yeah, I, I said all what the hell I was doing there. Yeah. Anyway, so a little bit about you before we start talking. You went to the University of Glasgow, where you studied French and philosophy. You played amateur golf to what looks like a reasonable standard because you played for your country at schools and university level. I did. After... We lost to England, really. So that <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. I know yeah. that we'll talk about that again in a minute. Um, well, yeah. There was uh, no dramatic comeback at North Berwick Golf Club in 1991, so it was, uh, it was just pain all the way, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, after some time throwing wine over people in restaurants in Glasgow, you entered the world of broadcasting, which um, we'll talk about in a minute, but included some of the following highlights, I suppose. Pre- presenting shows on News 24, tennis commentary, including the big events like Wimbledon, golf commentary, Ryder Cup, the Open, the Masters and all that, and the Olympics and all that stuff. Are you doing all the that. Masters this month? Doing the Masters, so it's, it's uh, fly out the day after the boat race. The boat race is one of those weird ones that sort of moves around according to the tides and according to uh, terms, so... 
uh, yeah, so sometimes it is early, sometimes it's late. It's quite late this year, so uh, straight out to the Masters after that. So it's that's a, a contrast, and that's why I like the contrast in sporting events. So yeah, it's good fun. It's interesting because you're you're a multi-sport person. You know, you do mm. lots and lots of different things. But like my my favourite commentator ever is Barry Davis, oh, and he I did see. lots and lots of things. I remember him having a speaking of Scotland. I'm sure I remember him doing like a commentary in the at the Commonwealth Games in the 80s, where Scotland were playing a badminton game. Yeah, it would and have I, been, yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing. And he was and obviously he was most associated with foot most associated with football, but did everything else as well. Do yeah. those like John Motson, do those single sport people exist anymore? Yeah, they do. Um yeah, 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 very very much so. In fact in fact I would say that it's rarer to have the multi-sport people than the single sport. I think the single sport things are taking over, but that's kind of driven by Sky. Sky like people to be just one sport. And and they're very strong on the ex sportsmen or women be, becoming the commentators, whereas at the BBC and I, I I'm freelance. I work for a few people, but sort of uh, the BBC more than anything else are, are still they still have that mix of in most sports you would have a, a a broadcaster a lead commentator alongside alongside an expert, which I think is a nice mix because the expert provides the insight, whereas mm. the lead commentator the broadcaster is there to try and provide a nice voice or a turn of phrase, just some sort of description. So they describe and the expert explains. And I think that balance works quite well, but it's kind of going against the trend now. But I, I, I love being able to do lots of different sports. Although golf and rugby were the sort of twin pillars of the, the commentary when I started. And it took a while to add things like tennis and athletics and, uh, you know, and the boat race and others. So, Is there any sports you've not done that you'd like to have done? Uh, no, I got asked to do football once, but I, but I think football you've got to, because it is so uh, all encompassing. Everybody knows something. You know, football is is so deeply ingrained in the fabric of the country that you can, if you don't really have a passion for it, and I don't really have a passion for it, then you know you could you can get away with. And I don't want to use that phrase getting away with, but you. For example, I, at the Olympics in Beijing, I did weightlifting commentary and I did modern pentathlon commentary. Mm. And uh, a lot of uh, sports uh, in the past at the Olympic Games, they would use standard commentators who didn't, who just came in to do those sports. Like you said, Barry Davis uh, doing badminton or whatever. And you would brush up on that sport and you would sound, you know, you would be the person guiding and commentating that. You'd have an expert alongside you, but you weren't the real, so you, you weren't immersed in that sport. Now, you can do that with certain sports, but not with football, because football, you're going to. They get found out, but I mean, I think you really have to have that that passion for football because, it, as I say, it's so ingrained. And, and, and ima- yeah. imagine the Twitter storm, Andrew. If you said something uh, slightly, oh, <laughs> can you imagine? The pain, and that's you know what? As a, as a commentator, you live in fear of Twitter storms. Now you live in fear, of, and I, I quite often deactivate Twitter over the not because I get a tremendous amount of of abuse or criticism. I, you know, I, I I don't. I get one or two things, but. You know, you, you come off after a commentary and for some reason, you know, you, you everybody just looks at Twitter all the time now. And I, I hate the fact that we feel so needy and we feel, you know, you switch on Twitter and you look at it and there's somebody saying, well, that was that was bollocks. That was, you know, you, yeah. you know so, and you, you can't help but even though you know it's nonsense to pay any attention to it, it just kind of eats away at your soul a little bit there. Is that one of the critics in the background there? I can, that's, that's the kind of... <laughs> that's my noise. wife shouting at the dog because she's just well, coming from that's work. Like, oh, yeah, well, bring the dog in. We've got to have some dog action because my dogs are 
pawing at the door just now. You know what I mean about Twitter? It's people pay, so they'll get praise on it, and it, it feeds them a little bit, and then they get criticism, and they pay, shouldn't pay attention to any of it. But we do. We're only human in that, you know, we get nice things said about us, and we think, oh, that's yeah. great. I'm I mean, fantastic. Generally, <laughs> our, our pod is a is an hour. My Twitter account is, is a bit of a piss-takey one, so I, I can't really say much, to be honest. What I will say is that, there's like you said, there's plenty of people who are quite happy to have a go at broadcasters left, right, and centre. But I can honestly say most people have nothing but positive things to say about you. Mm, and yeah. and honestly, honestly, in my experience, of all the people that they slag off, and believe it, there's plenty of people that do slag all kinds of people off, you don't see it much about you. I don't know what it well, is. I know exactly. I'm just I'm just anodyne. No, I'm not. But because I mean, you're I, beige, I, I, is that what it is? <laughs> exactly. Play it safe. Just don't say anything at all. Just don't upset anyone. But I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Some commentators get tremendous grief, but they're generating talk, uh, uh, and so people will say, "Well, you know, he marmite rubs some people up the wrong way, but he's so he's generating. At least he's generating interest." But, but I, I would rather still be the more low key. People would just say, "Oh, he's." That was a, that was a nice commentary, or that was a good, you know whatever. Mm. But um, I mean, I did get you know I I, I do I, strangely enough in rugby the criticism I seem to get of late. I've had a couple a couple of people contacting me and saying Scottish people and saying someone said you're a disgrace to your mother country. Um, <laughs> and then, what had you and done? Then said, <laughs> and then someone else, you know, they always go on to they're always block capitals in there at some point just to accentuate the point, as if I haven't quite got it. And then they say you should pay attention to Bill McLaren, as if I didn't know Bill McLaren or love Bill McLaren or listen to Bill McLaren and sort of learn from him anyway. Oh, have you heard of this guy Bill McLaren? Perhaps <laughs> you should learn from him. All right, maybe I'll maybe I'll check him out. Thanks for that. But people who say you know you're not Scottish enough, I'm not there to be a Scottish cheerleader. They want me to just cry freedom and paint my face blue for 90, 80 minutes. I'm not... And let's be honest, for, for a, large, a large section of the past 10 years, you'd look very silly doing that, wouldn't you? Well, you just... It's not... Commentators are not cheerleaders, much though certain people would like them to be. We're there to be sort of neutral, excited about the game, but neutral, and other people can apply their their support to the game. It's just... When, uh, when you're not commentating on a game... Yeah. Um... Are you like everybody else? Do you like shout, oh, for fuck's sake, at the television when somebody yeah. drops the ball or something? Or you, yes. Or has I that been know. so driven out of your system that you can't no, no, summon it one, anymore? So some, you become less, I have become less interested in watching sport in general because I watch it all the time when I'm working. Hmm. But, for example, because there's a split between BBC and ITV now, there are games which I will not be commentating on that I used to commentate on. Um, and so, well, well Scotland Ireland this year, you know, that's historically a fixture that I've always commentated on. But because it was the only BBC game that weekend, and I'd done the only BBC game the following weekend, Eddie Butler was doing that game. Mm. So I'm at home watching it. And, and he gets all the voiceovers as well. It doesn't seem very fair <laughs> to me. He does get all the voiceovers, yeah, but that's, that's absolutely fine. He does. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but, you know, I'm watching it, and I suddenly remember how much I hate watching Scotland play because you get so wrapped up in it and it just brings you such agony briefly ecstasy at some points but it's just agony so speaking yeah, of ecstasy and agony yeah you had this weekend this is being recorded just after the amazing 38 all draw at Twickenham your voice sounds fine but obviously well, I watched you commentate on the on the highlights and your yeah. voice didn't sound fine then obviously it's quite well trained but how excited oh. are you when things like that happen well, is it easy all, to get excited you know yeah, I mean, first of all, people don't know, I think, that when you're doing highlights commentary, you're not doing it post-edit. You know, it's not put together 15-minute edit. And you oh, right, okay. You're sitting there in the, for the whole match doing the commentary. 
So you commentate on the whole match as you would do for a live game, and then they chop it up. So you are, we do do it at the ground. I know some people, do, you know, some broadcasters would do it off tube from a studio, but we we are there at every game um, commentating on it. So I was sitting there at Twickenham with Brian Moore doing the commentary, and I kind of. I'd kind of given up at halftime, not in my commentary, but I'd given up internally from a Scottish <laughs> point of view, as every Scottish fan yeah. had done. But I, I don't think I've ever done a... Uh, I, I remember Scotland, Wales against Scotland in 2010 is still the most remarkable final five minutes of any game, any sporting event I've ever seen. But um, but that that game at Twickenham, I, I can't remember being so... Because usually when you're commentating, you do switch off as a fan and you switch off the excitement... Mm. I mean, you, you get you sound excited, and you you uh, create that sort of act, not act because you are still excited when you see great sport. But I but I've never had the Scottish fans so close to the surface, uh, and and had that. Ex- I could not believe like anybody else watching that. I could not believe what I was seeing. And the trouble is, you have gears that you go through as a commentator, and you and you you don't want to reach peak hyperbole. <laughs> too soon because you'll just end up screaming like a banshee you don't want to go full jonathan pierce well what do you do when so so the first try goes in mcanally's charged down and you think okay right well that's a bit of consolation for scotland haha chuckle in the voice (laughs) second try goes in you're thinking well here's the source of of interest in the voice third try goes in it's oh there's a bit of surprise in the voice what is what is happening here uh, fourth try goes in, then you're astonished, and then you have started to peak. So what do you do then when you get the fifth try and the sixth try? Sixth try, dogs all around Twickenham are running <laughs> under circles because they hear this, they, they hear this high pitched squeak. That so you've got to leave yourself somewhere to go. But all you can do in that instance is, I think, convey what all the spectators are doing, all the viewers are doing, watching, in that this is just astonishing. So it's surprise, it's everything, it's excitement. It's just, this is just ridiculous. This is nonsense. This shouldn't be happening. So, I remember yeah. uh, you, I'm sure it was you commentating on a France game once with Alan mm-hmm. Williams as your co-commentator. You made, <laughs> you made some little joke about Bastereau being, oh yeah, what an athlete sort of thing. Well, I think and he, he got and he back. got quite pissed off, didn't he? Yeah, and he's quite scary, Ali Williams. Like, yes. I mean, I, the trouble is, I don't take many things seriously. I love the serious drama of sport, but a lot of sport is you know, entertaining and silly. If you don't have those moments in any sport, don't be too po-faced about sport. The drama is great, but if you're really serious and earnest about sport all the time, it just sounds tedious. So it is like anything else. You've got to have light to go with the shades. So I, 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 I am not a very serious person anyway. So, uh, yeah, and I do sometimes go for the flippant joke, which I sometimes regret later on. But you watch Bastero come on and you're looking for a description of him coming into the field. And I said, Bastero, I said, Bastero waddles onto the pitch. And I didn't. And as soon as I said it, I thought, is that too much? But I, I, I want He does to waddle. Bastero is an incredible specimen. But I do think that Bastero is slightly overweight. And, and <laughs> yeah. to... You've been very kind. He's, he's incredibly fat for a professional yeah, exactly. three-quarter. And... Yeah. He would still have power. If he lost two stone, he would still be an incredibly powerful individual. But the French don't know how to train physically. Their, their physical uh, regime is so far behind other countries. Anyway, we're dig- digressing somewhat. But yes, I said it. Ali Williams, who clearly knows Bastereau and is a friend or whatever, and he he wasn't happy at all. But he's quite a menacing character anyway, Ali Williams. And, uh, and he's, he's good fun as well. But... Um, 
I knew that he wasn't going to kill me on air, so I knew I had that safety of being on air. It was kind of like, but I, I never wanted to leave on air. I didn't want to go off air because <laughs> I thought that I might be in trouble. So That was when um, Ali Williams was famously, his job was carrying Dan Carter's bag for about two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There was all... You can't say that, but I can. But, uh, so, uh... I, I wouldn't say it to him, but I'd, I'd yeah. say it to Bastero while commenting <laughs> with Bastero about Dan Williams. You could probably outrun him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you mentioned going back to kind of your life and this stuff. You mentioned mentioned at the top you played golf. Did you play rugby growing up? I loved rugby, but I, I mean, I, I'd love to. I don't really know what it's like at schools now. I know that in New Zealand they do it by by weight. They don't do it by age because otherwise you're just going to get run over by Pacific Islanders all the time at the age of twelve. You know, people mm. who weigh eighteen stone. But in uh, schools, rugby for me, I loved. I mean, absolutely loved rugby. I loved running with a ball. But the trouble is, schools rugby, where I was and where most people are, I'm sure it was, we will give it to our big genetic freak who's fully grown at the age of 12 with a beard. And then he will run at their big genetic freak with a beard. And then they'll sort of collide and the ball will pop up and all the normal all the normal children will then scrabble over it and not quite know what to do until the big freaks get up again and run at each other. And so I wasn't... I mean, I'm not not particularly big now, but I stopped growing at the end of primary school rather cruelly when I was I was huge then just stop for about six years <laughs> you know when it's your really formative time in terms of imposing yourself as a sort of alpha male at secondary school i just stopped growing so i loved i loved running with a ball i would say i was reasonably i had good balance and a good part but it doesn't matter at, at secondary school because you'll just get run over by a guy from glasgow academy with a mustache or a farmer so, what is the, what, so I, I kind of and I was so serious about my golf at the time that I I didn't want to be. I was playing in medals on a Saturday just with oh, right, be, beaten up. So I kind of stopped playing rugby when I was worried about your fingers going. Yeah, exactly. I was kind of I, I stopped, but it was huge in the family. My grandfather played a couple of times for Scotland in the thirties, so it was a big thing, um, rugby. So, but we loved. I loved watching rugby. I loved playing rugby, but I sort of I sort of stepped away from playing rugby when I was uh, seventeen. So I mentioned before you were throwing wine over people. You were working in a restaurant while you were at uni. And then I think yeah. you said something like you drifted into broadcasting, I've read yeah. somewhere. Can I just say that was Frank? Do you remember Frank McAvaney who played for Celtic and West Ham? Yes. That was who I threw wine over. It was, I mean, it was totally accidental. And he was great about it, but his partner... Did you make his fake tan run? She, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, um, but she didn't appreciate it. But anyway, it was just, I was a terrible waiter. But I didn't know what else to do because I was... I, 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 I'm always wary of people who from the age of 14 say, ah, I want to do this, I'm going to be this. And if, I say at 14, 15, you shouldn't really know what you want to do. And I didn't know throughout university, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Graduated, still had no idea. So I was kind of fishing around. I knew I wanted to do something with, with language. I wasn't uh, great at other things. So I applied for a job. Eventually, that, what, what, do you do when you've got, what do you do when you've got no idea? <laughs> you head for the media and think, oh, I applied for a news job at a local radio station and they said, well, the news job's gone, but I see you've got a lot of interest in sport in your CV, so we're looking for a sports person. And that was it. You kind of fall into the job. Like a lot of people fall into their jobs and then find out that they can do it and enjoy it. And, you know, you, you end up then suddenly saying, hey, 10 years have passed. How did that happen? But, but I mean, you're, you're at the kind of top level of your bit of broadcasting now, aren't you? I would say, or somewhere in it. Well, yeah, what, but what, do, do you get spotted at some point? I mean, is, what 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 makes it that you move? Obviously, you've got to be good at it, but it's luck. It's tight. Well, there's a combination of two things: absolute luck in the timing of things, but then you have to have the talent to take that luck, that opening, and move on with it. 
So when I arrived at, so for example, I was at local radio in Scotland. I felt that maybe the next step was to try and get into BBC Scotland to send them demo tapes, but I heard nothing at all. So what happens instead is that someone who had heard me doing a program on Scott FM recommends me to someone down in London at Five Live and and that's it. It's on a recommendation. Um, then I I, I I made that move. And to be honest, if you're working in Scotland and you, you're not massively into football, although I'd done a lot of football for three years, but you want to do other sports, you want to do golf or rugby or whatever, then you can't stay or you couldn't at the time stay in Scotland. You had to go down to, to London. And the excitement of going down to London and working at the BBC, and I did Sky News as well when I first went down, the excitement was, you know, for a 23-year-old or whatever, it was just... Mm. Uh, just incredible it was just the best place to well, i wasn't 23 i exaggerated there i must have been 26 by the time i got down there 27 um yeah it was just it was did your voice was, play a part in it because you have got a very nice voice yeah, well, and is that is that something that people go yeah he's good because the voice just sounds right and that's part of the well it's part of the luck in that at the time they were looking for more non-generic home counties accents there's no doubt about that but i have you know, I've not, I've, I've got a, a decent voice, and I would, anyone will listen to a demo tape, and they'll hear the voice in the first thirty seconds, and they'll decide whether that person can make a good broadcaster. There's, there's only, you know, there are things you can do in terms of improving your delivery or improving your vocabulary, but if you haven't got the raw materials of a voice to work with, then you're going to be struggling. Um, Is it as important as like being a singer then, the voice in broadcasting? Well, well, I used to not take it quite as seriously, but then I started to think about it and it sounds really arsy to say that to say ah oh, yes my my voice is my tool but there, so i got I, I i got proper flu recently and i you know i know blokes talk about oh, i had a bit of flu but i had proper you know influenza and i was at, so i was in bed for five days and i missed the european indoor athletics first time i've ever you know missed work apart from italy wales when i was actually <laughs> ill there let's just not talk about that one but when i um european indoor athletics i, I can't believe you what? shot that one down that was <laughs> Well, I will. I will talk about yeah, it. Yeah, go on, sure. sorry. But anyway, so so I was, I was, you know, I had proper flu, couldn't do the work, and then after the European indoors, it was the weekend before uh, Wales against Scotland, which was a game I was really looking forward to. My voice went on the Tuesday and Wednesday. I could not, I couldn't speak at all, and so then it, it gradually came back and was just. I was really worried about it on the day of that match, and the first time you speak. You know, it's when they hand to you when the anthems finish because you don't know how you're going to be when you really ramp it up to proper commentary mm. volume, and suddenly you say the anthems die at Murrayfield and blah blah blah, whatever you go into, and then only then did I think, all right, okay, this might might be okay today. So so you you do get really protective of your voice, and people wonder why I'm a weird germaphobe, and it's not the only reason, but um, <laughs> but I I get. Colds and I think you know if my voice goes, then I'm not going to be able to do this sporting event, which I've really looked forward to. And also as a freelancer, I'm not going to get paid, and I'm essentially Scottish. So you think, oh, it's just. That, uh, <laughs> I love the idea of being essentially Scottish rather than just being Scottish. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm essentially. I'm. Uh, yeah, is that not a sort of basic range? Are you all the stereotypes? Here? Is that what it yeah. is? I'm. I'm a down down market Scottish. I'm a, a basics range Scottish. Um. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. It is. It is so. So important. But I do. I, I say I do kind of take care of it. I mean, we don't. You don't realise how important it is as a broadcaster until it disappears for a couple of days, and then you think I'm a. You know, especially as a freelancer, you've got to have got to have the voice to work. 
I read somewhere you said something about the you, you can't really have players as your friends because it might affect your performance. I think you, what you said was if a player drops the ball in rugby, you might be inclined to say the ball was slipping, yeah. and that's not that's not doing your job. No. So, so I mean, yeah. Why do you say that then? Yeah. Well, I'm uh, lucky in that respect that I don't have many friends, so the chance <laughs> of me having the friend, but I, you is know, that why I'm you're always there. on a mountain with your dog whenever you have yeah, a foot? Exactly. Uh, oh, there's the, there's no place I'm happier than just being away from people up a mountain. Anyway, I'm coming over as rather a misanthropic. But so the point about that is that a lot of broadcasters want to be friends with the players and that's fine and some of them do become friends with players and there are certain golfers that I would get on pretty well with and back in the day when I was sort of the same age as them I would know a lot of the rugby players but first of all I don't think you ever really are their friends you might think you are but I also think it is slightly dangerous because I I do remember uh, Chris Cusseter was a good friend is still a a friend of mine uh, you know former Scotland scrum half Mm -hmm. and I do remember doing a game and he, he might have knocked on or whatever. I mean, um, he'll not listen to this, so he was a great player anyway. But, uh, and I, you know, and I remember making a bit of an excuse saying greasy ball or whatever. And I was thinking, that's not, if I didn't know him, I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be saying, you know, you know that's, a, that's a big mistake in this, or whatever. Hmm. So I, I think you should be able to have that detachment. I'm not really there to, to be the critic anyway. That again falls to the role of the co-commentator. But I should be able to have that detachment. You shouldn't. You shouldn't feel partisan or biased towards any any players out there. My name is Adrian Corcoran. I'm a guard attached to the roads policing unit. Last year saw an increase in fatalities on our roads. These are needless and preventable deaths. We all share the road. However you use it, please be careful and keep each other safe. Together, let's save lives on our roads. A message from the Road Safety Authority. The world of work has changed dramatically and organisations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfit School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfitschool.ie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. You do a lot of com- you did commentary on radio as well with the golf and stuff, don't you? And the Ryder Cup on Radio Five Live and everything. Yeah, radio's different, obviously. But just talk about golf for a minute. Obviously, with golf, you have there's, there's I'm a big cricket fan and a golf. I'm an every sport fan, but there's an element of time to be filled, mm. isn't there? Or is there? And it, it, does yeah, that no, make it different? So. <sighs> All the sports I, I do in terms of golf, tennis, athletics, and rugby are very, very different. The ones that are most similar in terms of the mechanics of them are athletics and rugby because it's excitement, it's stadium noise, it's identification of athletes, it's finding a phrase, and it's high-paced. Then golf is so different because it's long. On, on television, I'm talking about here, yeah. it's, you know, you, you put the microphone down and again that applies a little bit in rugby uh, as well don't talk too much because the atmosphere is there but but uh, in golf commentary and television it's really about letting it breathe now the americans would have a very very different approach they would just talk 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 at each other over each other filling any silence is just death so they're just not allowed to do it and it, it, it hurts it hurts to listen to it and in tennis they're even worse for a tennis commentary I mean, it's very, very fiddly television tennis commentary. So in radio, you'd be just describing everything, obviously. You have to, and it's very, very fast-paced and descriptive. Whereas on television tennis commentary, 
we will not, I won't say something throughout a whole game. You know, he might just make an appreciative murmur uh, or something. Mm. But the, the most important part in television tennis commentary is saying something, thinking, right, what topic are we, are we going to discuss at the change of ends? And so then you'll discuss something. But it's again, it's just making that appreciative noise as someone hits an amazing forehand down the line or whatever. And you're leaving McEnroe or Henman or Becker next to you to say, you know, to explain why. So it's 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 fiddly, but it's again, that's what the skill is, knowing when to nip in to say something. Because the, the umpire is a commentator, the spectator noise is commentary. You've got the graphics saying the score, so what do you need to what do you need to add to it? And that is the sort of skill is knowing what can I add to this Peep. that is going to make it any better. That's why sorry, you said radio co- that's why radio commentary is so much more enjoyable because you're just right, you've just got free reign to describe everything. Go from the first minute to the last. You just describe everything. And so the you know, the shackles are off. And you just go for it. I love trying to describe everything and paint a picture that might bring it to the listeners at home. One of my favourite commentaries was on radio. It was when um, Tiger won the Open at, when it first came back to Hoylake. Mm. And it was just after yeah. his dad had died. Yeah, absolutely. And when he sunk the winning put, the... when he sunk yeah. the winning put, I was listening on the radio. And the guy said, I can't remember who was commentating, said, he basically went, and it's there, blah, blah, blah. And he dissolves into tears, you know, and it was... And I think if I'd have seen that on telly, it wouldn't have had the same effect No, at all. It was like no, the, no, the noise that no. built in the background and then this commentator voice going up and stuff. It's, and, and I think that was a perfect example of how radio could be wonderful, really. No, and the best commentators will ride off the noise of the crowd and they'll use that as punctuation. And it's, it's interesting, and, and Peter Alves actually does it. For all the criticism Peter Alves gets, he understands the, the sort of fluency and the sort of timbre and the pace of commentary as, as well as envy. You watch a, a golfer walking up the 18th to rapturous applause. It might be their final tournament. And again, touching on sort of America, they would want to speak for the whole time, saying saying amazing things and just finding a, 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 a and just bawling away. I love I love trying trying to eavesdrop in the back in the back. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's yeah. getting a telling off. I'm not sure. It's like an, an American commentator has arrived in your <laughs> yes. house. And we're trying to just talk about commentary. They're trying to describe no, but, everything. Yeah. But but so they will talk over this whole episode. Whereas Peter Alice and 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 I would certainly try and do this, and others would as well. But you tee it up, and then you just let the crowd carry them down the fairway to the very end, and then just as the the applause dies away then you'd pick up again. And I remember doing, um, I don't even remember Sergio Garcia and Justin Rose having the great head-to-head coming down mm. the stretch of the Masters. I remember just uh, Sergio Garcia's second shot to the, to the 15th. And we sort of take it, or we sort of rotate in turns to do the commentary over various shots. And so this one is my turn to speak. And Paul Azinger, uh, you know, great American golfer, commentator for us, was sitting alongside me. And I could see he was so excited. He gets right into it. And I could see he wanted to speak here. But I thought, right, I'm going to tee it up. And I and I just you set up the shot, and then you can hear the bird song and the murmur of the crowd, and and that is that is the best commentary you can have at that moment. That silence to set up the drama and tension of the shot. And Paul was about to say something, and I sort of you stick out a hand, say, <laughs> "Don't say anything here, because nothing you can say at this point that will ruin the tension of the the silence as he stands over this ball with the water waiting in the fifteenth. And I, I, I had to sort of apologise to him afterwards for almost punching him in the face. But <laughs> I, I think he understood that we do things slightly differently in, in Britain. Let the moment of sport breathe. And it's the same with a kick, a penalty, you know, to, to win. It's like the silence at a, 
at you know the Aviv mm. or the silence at whatever ground it might be. That's far more powerful than the noise. And so us, we wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't because yeah, you could sit there going, this is an incredibly important kick. He's missed all kicks so far, and this could yeah, be yeah, exactly, <laughs> just babbling away over it. Just stop and say, so here, here he is, Sexton. What a moment, and then just leave it. And that, that is, silence is sometimes the best commentary you can offer. People often talk, one of the, I remember Richie Benno passed away and everyone was saying, oh, well, the best thing about Richie Benno was just his, his wonderful use of silence. It was amazing. Yeah. And then it's like, well, why didn't any of you shut up then? Know, you're all, well, you're all, not you, but I mean, you, yeah. so many people sort of, you think, well, yeah, but why don't you actually try and do what he did then? Because people <laughs> get, because they get, they get scared and they get competitive and they think I've got to say something. Oh, he's just said something. I better say something. Or she's just said, something. I better, I better nip in there as well. And also because you, you, nobody tells them otherwise. That's the uh, thing is sometimes that, uh, you know, uh, you've got to have uh, another commentator who might say, I think a silence will work, you know, a senior commentator telling, but people get scared of upsetting people as well. And, uh, and, and I don't think that skill, I th- I, you know, we live in a much noisier time now. There's just never, people don't like, I love silence. That's why I'm always up mountains disappearing. But the silence is the most, is the most, can be the most powerful thing. But we're just scared of silence now. We like to fill the gaps with just babble, which just ruins it. So, um, yeah. So last few things then. Are you, um, are you hopeful after Saturday of what's in store for Scotland rugby the next 12 months or so? Well, only if they... I, I love, uh, uh, yeah, so speaking as a fan, I love watching Scotland, or I did love Scot- watching Scotland play until this Six Nations and then until the final half. <laughs> against, uh, because what they can do, and they're still missing so many good players, yeah. but also they're missing people like like John Barkley, people say, and he's a great player, but he's also a very experienced player. Now, Scotland are a great attacking side when they get going and when games break up. But, look, I mean, look at what Wales did. So they had fewer clean line breaks. They they scored the joint lowest number of tries with Italy. The, you know all the stats that you would think meters made. Mm. You know they were bottom of all those charts, but they were the best defensive unit, and that's what's winning games. That they were just the best organized, best drilled, best coached. They every single one of them knew their job, and Scotland have a sort of wonderful ragtag approach to rugby where they I mean and they've got some serious talent in there and when they get other players back as well they're going to have a great squad but they've got to be able to close games out because and it sounds remarkable to say but I'm still so angry that they didn't close that game out at Twickenham because there were about three points within the last two and a half minutes where they should have shut it out Mm. and it was a little bit like their quarterfinal against Australia in the World Cup you know that you know they should have shut that out. They should have been playing in the semi-final of the World Cup. And, I, and the thing about Scotland as well is, you know, they'll see a great performance, six tries in a row, and they'll think, right, wow, we're great going forward again. They should be hard-nosed about it. They should be Andy Murray-esque about it, not Scottish. It, you know, Scotland has a sort of attitude that, ah, oh, we, we did well to get this far. No, they should be thinking, we've got a serious chance if we tighten things up. They should be really cold about it, you know, really calculating about it. That New Zealand are great and entertaining and amazing rugby nation. I know they're a totally different rugby nation in terms of how much it means to them and how much how big rugby is in New Zealand. But they would come off the back of that and go, right, we're going to improve this. And, you know, I just I just hope that Scotland can uh, can get a little bit of Wales about them in terms of being far, a bit more structured but still having that attacking flair. Then they could be a force to, to be reckoned with. It's him. It, what, what's worrying maybe is that Finn Russell when asked why it changed at half time he said I basically stopped doing what Gregor Townsend was telling me to do yeah I don't, I, 
it was interesting because he said that on the pitch. This is an immediate post-match interview, mm. and then once he spoke to us for for the BBC for highlights, he said something different. So I think got, <laughs> I've had got, such a bollocking. Let me just tell you what really line. happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, well, uh, it's interesting because I, 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 and I again, this is where we talk about people being. You don't want to get too close to people. Gregor Townsend is a friend. I've known him for a long, long time. So I have no end of admiration for him. As a player, I loved him. As a mm. coach at Glasgow, I loved him. But I, I, I'd quite like him to work with somebody who's more Sean Edwardsy. You know, mm. someone who is just a bit uh, a serious. And, I, and I, you know, I think that there are a lot of good people in that coaching setup. But I just want that uh, you, you want to have the perfect blend of attack. They brought Sean Wayne in, haven't they, from Wigan? Yeah, so it's a, we'll I, I, I'll tell you what, Gregor Townsend is a really deep thinker about coaching as well. So I, I'm, I'm pleased to have him as a coach. I'm not just saying that because I, you know, because he is a friend. But, I, but, you know, I do think, a li- I, I, yeah, a little bit more Vern Cotter in there as well, wouldn't it? Wouldn't yes, go on indeed. Yeah. yeah. But, so, but listen, I think things are pretty pretty bright. And if if Scotland do go down, they'll go down in the most entertaining fashion. Well, when you, and you mentioned those injuries, to be honest. I said this a couple of weeks ago, that when you looked at the squad they were putting out, even with all the injuries, compared to what they were putting out 10 years ago, yeah, it's absolutely that, testament to the work the SRU have done and Scott Johnson did to actually, and not in, in locally producing players and that scouting network, because that's a reality of the modern yeah. game as well. You know, so you know, listen, all power to them. Yeah, I don't like... Residency qualification at all, but not many Sam, people do. But it's there, isn't it? And it's there, and it's changing. And I wish it would change to ten years because I I would rather see an international rugby. I want to feel a real connection with the players who are there representing your country. But having said that, Sam Johnson played well, so we'll have him. But <laughs> yes, uh, he's a very good. Player. I, see, I don't know why yeah. he got dropped for the Wales game, for example. I don't. I mean, he didn't do. It. I thought he was outstanding, and I still can't believe that. Um, that uh, it was it was too it was it was too Alangi, wasn't it who mm. took his head off but anyway um yeah no i thought he was uh, i thought he was fantastic i don't like residency qualification but then again um you know scotland is a very very small you'd be country. silly to ignore it while it's there you'd be silly to ignore it i mean england still has and even england do it yeah exactly well so they've got 16 times the number of senior players that scotland have and yet they still will have you know a nathan hughes in there or whoever it might Shields, be so T.O. well yeah. exactly there's there are there are, there are many of them Last question well, then, when I let you go, because I know yeah. you've uh, been only had spare no, no about time. Let's talk about the only because of the 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 time you had to abandon the commentary box. Just to be clear, according to reports, it was food poisoning. It was coming out both ends, and there wasn't much you could no, do about it. Right. See, this is this is what I love the I love the opportunity to uh, explain that it was one end and it was the north end. I was just being I was being sick. It was the norovirus, and everybody in in Wales in particular, I think, because Jiffy. Jonathan Davis went went basically on Twitter and, and did a poo emoji immediately, and so what, <laughs> and so everyone goes and and I still will get tweets from Welsh fans going, "Hey Andrew, you're you're not going to shit yourself doing this game, are you?" <laughs> and I think, well, hang on a minute, I, I've never done that, and so but I'll tell you, I'll tell you about the. I game. love how really upset you are about, about oh, this fact. I want I was, to set the record straight. Yeah. I was only very healthily and normally vomiting during the game. Anyway, so five minutes before kickoff, I felt fine, and then it just suddenly came on during the just before the anthems. I started to get that horrible cold, clammy feeling, and I thought this could be in trouble. I I kind of said to Jonathan, I said to, uh, to Jeffy, I said. I might be in trouble here, and he didn't take it seriously. He he helped me out by doing sort of a, a vomiting motion into his hand. <laughs> so, 
So during, uh, so I thought, well, maybe once the game kicks off, the adrenaline will kick in and it'll see me through it. So I started, and I've never felt, I was trying to, I, even trying to get through the name Martin Castro Giovanni was just too much. So, <laughs> and you can hear it because obviously it's on YouTube, obviously. And you can hear at three minutes 50, the microphone just goes down. I've just made some pathetic noises up to that point. The microphone goes down. You can hear a thump on the table. Because I thought, I've just got to get out of here because I am going to actually throw up during commentary. And that will go vi- That will become a YouTube sensation. <laughs> that will literally so be I viral, just, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it will be noroviral. And I <laughs> ran out of the commentary box down into the presidential suite which was the nearest place that i could think of and there's a statuesque model who was there to greet everybody <laughs> who came into the presidential suite said buongiorno senor how are you and i indicated that i wasn't very well by projectile vomiting all over the floor and, and i've never <laughs> felt i have never felt so ill so for the for the for the whole half i was throwing up in the in the depths of the Stadio Olimpico. And then I thought, gamely, I thought, I'll go back and try for the second half. And I got back up to the commentary position and immediately had to run back down. And they got Hugh Llewellyn Davis, Welsh commentator, to take over because Jeffy had been left with Shane Williams just <laughs> mumbling. Well, we all remember that. Yeah. Just mumbling stuff at players who they didn't know and saying, oh, that's a good scrum, that is. <laughs> and that was it. And so I, so I eventually I went down and they had to give me an injection to stop me throwing up. It was just It was just your worst nightmare. So thank you for bringing that up and for me bringing everything up. <laughs> hey, but well, you've got a chance to clear what actually happened. So let the word go forth from here. It was let only out, go it forth. was only out of the mouth. <laughs> exactly. So thank you very much for helping to clear that up. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Andrew. That was great. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Good fun. Take care, Tara. All right, cheers, Lee. All right, right, bye. My name is Adrian Corcoran. I'm a guard attached to the Roads Policing Unit. Last year saw an increase in fatalities on our roads. These are needless and preventable deaths. We all share the road. However you use it, please be careful and keep each other safe. Together, let's save lives on our roads. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Sports Social Podcast Network.